Okay. So, let's begin. The meaning of marriage. Facing the complexities of commitment with the wisdom of God. We'll start with the introduction. There's a quote. It says, God, the best maker of all marriages, combine your hearts in one. William Shakespeare and Henry V. A book for married people. Think of this book as a tree supplied by three deep roots. The first is my 37-year marriage to my wife, Kathy. She helped me write this book, and she herself wrote chapter six, Embracing the Other. In chapter one, I caution readers about the way contemporary culture defines soulmate as a perfectly compatible match. Nevertheless, when we first began to spend time with each other, we each realized that the other was a rare fit for our hearts. I first met Kathy through her sister Susan, who was a student with me at Bucknell University. Susan often spoke to Kathy about me and to me about Kathy. As a young girl, Kathy had been led toward the Christian faith by C.S. Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia. She urged Susan to recommend them to me. I read and was moved by the books and by other Lewis volumes that I subsequently studied. In 1972, we both enrolled at the same school, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, on Boston's North Shore, and there we quickly came to see that we shared the secret thread that Lewis says is the thing that turns people into close friends or more. Here's the quote. You may have noticed that the books you really love are bound together by a secret thread. You know very well what is the common quality that makes you love them, though you cannot put it into words. Are not all lifelong friendships born at the moment when at last you meet another human being who has some inkling of that something which you were born desiring. End quote. Our friendship grew into romance and engagement, and then from a fragile new marriage into a tested and durable one. But this only happened through the pearls before swine speech, the great dirty diaper conflict, the smashing the wedding china affair and other infamous events in our family history that will be described in this book. All mileposts of the very bumpy road to marital joy, like most young modern couples, we found that marriage was much harder than we expected it to be. At the conclusion of our wedding ceremony, we marched out singing to the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Little did we know how relevant some of the lines would be to the arduous and painful work of developing a strong marriage. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient will be thy supply. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. This book, therefore, is for those spouses who have discovered how challenging day-to-day -day marriage is and who are searching for practical resources to survive the sometimes overwhelming 
fiery trials of matrimony and to grow through them. Our society's experience with marriage has given us the metaphor, the honeymoon is over. This is a book for those who have experienced this as a literal truth and may have fallen back to earth with a thud. A book for unmarried people is the next section. So the first section I just read was how it's a book for married people. He's explaining. And now this next section, he's going to explain how it's a book for unmarried people. The second source for this book is a long pastoral ministry in a city with millions and a church with thousands of single adults. Our congregation, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, yeah, I've been there before, it's pretty cool, is a rarity. A very large church that has been for years composed predominantly of singles. Several years ago, when we had about 4,000 people in attendance, I asked a very prominent church consultant, how many churches do you know of our size with 3,000 singles? He answered, your church is unique as far as I know. Ministering in the center of New York City in the late 1980s, Kathy and I were constantly struck by the deep ambivalence with which Western culture views marriage. It was then we began to hear all the now society-wide objections. Marriage was originally about property and is now in flux. Marriage crushes individual identity and has been oppressive for women. Marriage stifles passion and is ill-fitted to psychological reality. Marriage is just a piece of paper that only serves to complicate love and so on. But beneath these philosophical objections lie a snarl of conflicted personal emotions born out of many negative experiences with marriage and family life. Hmm. You might have just listened to that and been like, what did he just read? So if I was to simplify it, basically saying, a lot of people these days say like, oh, marriage is just a piece of paper. Marriage just makes things more complicated. And, you know, blah, 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 these kind of things. But he's saying, usually the people that are saying these kind of things are saying them because they had a negative experience, maybe in their marriage or maybe in their parents' marriage where they saw it happen. So, yeah. I'm going to start again. Early in our New York City ministry, in the fall of 1991, I preached a nine-week series on marriage. It has since been the most listened-to set of sermons or talks the church has ever produced. I had to begin the series by giving some justification for devoting weeks of teaching on being married to a congregation of mainly unmarried people. My main rationale was that single people today need a brutally realistic yet glorious vision of what marriage is and can be. What I said then fits single readers today, and this book is for them too. In preparation for writing this, I read a host of Christian books on marriage. Most of them were written to help married couples work through specific problems. This volume will be useful for that as well, but its primary goal is to give both married people and unmarried people a vision for what marriage is according to the Bible. I'll read that one more time because that's really important. 
the book's primary goal, this whole book, everything he's writing, the primary goal, the reason he's writing it, is to give both married people and unmarried people, like you and me, a vision for what marriage is according to the Bible, right? That's really important because it's not just about, oh, this is how I feel marriage should be like, but no, like, what does the Bible say marriage should look like? And how should, how does God want us to be married kind of thing? That's what this book is going to talk about. And uh, I hope, I think we'll both learn a lot because I definitely don't know too, too much about this kind of stuff because I haven't really, you know, researched this stuff too much. So I'm excited. <clears throat> I'll continue reading. That will help married people correct mistaken views that might be harming their marriage and it will help single people stop destructively over-desiring marriage or destructively dismissing marriage altogether. Also, a Bible-based marriage book will help each reader have a better idea of who he or she should consider as a prospective mate. A book about the Bible, the next section. There is a third source for the material in this book, and it is the most foundational. Through this, though this book is rooted in my personal experience of marriage and ministry, it is even more grounded in the teachings of the Old and New Testaments. Nearly four decades ago, as theological students, Kathy and I studied the biblical teachings on sex, gender, and marriage. Over the next 15 years, we worked them out in our own marriage. Then, over the last 22 years, we have used what we learned from both scripture and experience to guide and encourage, counsel and instruct young urban adults with regards to sex and marriage. We offer the fruit of these three influences to you in this book, but the foundation of it all is the Bible. In the Bible, there are three human institutions that stand apart from all others, the family, the church, and the state. There's nothing in the Bible about how schools should be run, even though they are cr crucial to a flourishing society. There's nothing there about business corporations or museums or hospitals. In fact, there are all sorts of great institutions and human enterprises that the Bible doesn't address or regulate. And so, we are free to invent them and operate them in line with the general principles of, for human life that the Bible gives us. But marriage is different. As the Presbyterian Book of Common Worship says, God established marriage for welfare and happiness of humankind. Marriage did not evolve in the late Bronze Age as a way to determine property rights. At the climax of the Genesis accounts of creation, we see God bringing a woman and a man together to unite them in marriage. The Bible begins with the wedding of Adam and Eve and ends in the book of Revelation with the wedding of Christ and the church. Marriage is God's idea. It is certainly also a human institution and it reflects the character of the particular human culture in which it is embedded but the concept and roots of mar human marriage are in God's own action. And therefore, 
what the Bible says about God's design for marriage is crucial. I don't know if that flew past your head because that's kind of complicated, but basically he's saying this. Like humans kind of think, oh, marriage is something we made up. Or like, oh, marriage is something that, you know, is so that we can do taxes better or something like that. But no, like, he's saying, like, marriage is from God. Marriage is in the Bible. It's in the beginning and at the end. It's all throughout the Bible. And it's not just, like, a human thing, but it's, like, a God thing. And that's why he's saying, that's why we need to look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about, like, about marriage. Because, sure, the Bible doesn't say anything about, you know, like a lot of the stuff in business you're learning, like about, oh, like using these kind of techniques to make the business better. Like, yeah, sure, the Bible doesn't say a lot about that. But the Bible is, does say a lot about marriage. Like, how do you make your marriage better? And things like that. Also, like, feel free to give me feedback if I'm talking too much and you would prefer if I just straight up read the book or something like that. But yeah, I'll continue reading. That is why the Presbyterian Service of Marriage says that marriage is instituted by God, regulated by His commandments, blessed by our Lord Jesus Christ. What God institutes, He also regulates. If God invented marriage, then those who enter it should make every effort to understand and submit to his purposes for it. We do this in many other aspects of our lives. Think of buying a car. If you purchase a vehicle, a machine well beyond your own ability to create, you will certainly take up the owner's manual and abide by what the designer says the car needs by way of treatment and maintenance. To ignore it completely would court disaster. Plenty of people who do not acknowledge God or the Bible yet, who are experiencing happy marriages, are largely abiding by God's intentions, whether they realize it or not. But it is far better if we are conscious of those intentions, and the place to discover them is in the writings of the scripture. What if you want to read this book and you don't share the assumption that the Bible is the authoritative revelation from God? Maybe you appreciate the Bible in some regards, but you don't trust it on the subjects of sex, love, and marriage. These topics of ancient wisdom are at great variance with contemporary Western sensibilities, and therefore the Bible has a reputation for being regressive on those subjects. We would urge you to give this book a try anyway. Over the years, both Kathy and I have taught at length on marriage, and I have spoken on marriage at innumerable weddings. There, we've learned what most people who do not share our view of the Bible or even our Christian faith are often shocked by how penetrating the biblical perspective on marriage is and how relevant it is to their own situations. So often, people have told me after the ceremony, I'm not religious at all, but that was the most helpful and practical explanation of marriage I've ever heard. Um, just for some context, because you've probably never been to a Christian wedding. <laughs> I, 
Oh, you have been to a wedding though. I remember your aunt got married maybe or something. But in a Christian wedding, there is usually a sermon, like a short sermon, like 20 minutes or something. And usually the pastor gives a sermon about marriage, like how a husband should act, how a wife should act, like very quickly. Obviously, it's not the most detailed, but like what's the goal of marriage? What's the reason for marriage, right? What's the meaning of marriage? Get it? Because that's the title of the book. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll continue. It is hard to get a good perspective on marriage. We all see it through the inevitably distorted lens of our own experience. If you came from an unusually stable home where your parents had a great marriage, that may have made it look easy to you. And so, when you get to your own marriage, you may be shocked by how much it takes to forgo, to forge a lasting relationship. On the other hand, if you have experienced a bad marriage or a divorce, either as a child or adult, your view of marriage may be overly wary and pessimistic. You may be too expectant of relationship problems, and when they appear, be too ready to say, yup, here it goes, and to give up. In other words, any kind of background experience of marriage may make you ill-equipped for it yourself. Yeah, I'm definitely like the second one where like, you know, well, maybe not marriage per se, but like dating, like we're gotten hurt. I'm sure you too. And like, it affects how I view it. So, but he's just saying like, it's important to have an outside perspective like the Bible because everyone already has some kind of perspective. Maybe they think it's easy because they saw parents who did really well or think it's really difficult because they saw parents who fought. So, yeah, I'll continue. So where can you go for a comprehensive view of marriage? There are many good how-to volumes usually written by counselors that can be very helpful. In a few years, however, marriage manuals look outdated. In the Bible, you have teaching that has been tested by millions of people over centuries and in multiple centuries. Do we have any other resource on marriage like that? <laughs> True. <laughs> All right, the plan of the book. The next section is called the plan of the book. The substance of this book draws on St. Paul's great passage on marriage in Ephesians 5, not only because it is so rich and full in itself, but also because it connects and expounds on other most important biblical text on marriage, Genesis 2. In chapter 1, we put Paul's discussion into today's cultural context and lay out two of the most basic teachings by the Bible on marriage, that one, it has been instituted by God and two, that marriage was designed to be a reflection of the saving love of God for us in Jesus Christ. That is why the gospel helps us to understand marriage. Oh, sorry, my brain just froze right there, sorry. I'll reread that. That is why the gospel helps us to understand marriage and marriage helps us to understand the gospel. That makes sense? In chapter two, we present Paul's thesis that all married partners need to work 
need the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Sorry, my computer. Okay. The work of the Spirit makes Christ's saving work real to our hearts, gives us supernatural help against the enemy of marriage, sinful self-centeredness. We need the fullness of the Spirit if we are to serve one another as we should. Chapter 3 gets us into the heart of what marriage is about, namely love. But what is love? This chapter discusses the relationship of feelings of love to acts of love and the relationship of romantic passion to covenantal commitment. Chapter 4 addresses the question of what marriage is for. It is a way for two spiritual friends to help each other on their journey to become the persons God designed them to be. Here, we will see that a new and deeper kind of happiness is found on the far side of holiness. Chapter 5 lays out three basic skill sets with which we can help each other on that journey. Chapter 6 discusses the Christian teachings that marriage is a place where the two sexes accept each other as differently gendered and learn and grow through it. Chapter 7 helps single people use the material in this book to live the single life well and to think wisely about seeking marriage themselves. Finally, chapter 8 takes on the subject of sex, why the Bible confines it to marriage, and how, if we embrace the biblical view, it will play out in both single life and in marriage. In this book, we examine the Christian understanding of marriage. It is based, as we have said, on straightforward reading of biblical text. This means we are defining marriage as a lifelong, monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect His saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. Wow, that is a mouthful. It needs to be said, therefore, that this Christian vision for marriage is not something that can be realized by two people of the same sex. Oof. That is the unanimous view of the biblical authors, and therefore, that is the view that we assume throughout the rest of the book. Even though we don't directly address the subject of homosexuality, the Bible's teaching on marriage does not merely reflect the perspective of any one culture or time. The teachings of Scripture challenge our contemporary Western culture's narrative of individual freedom as the only way to be happy. At the same time, it critiques how traditional cultures perceive the unmarried adult to be less than a fully formed human being. The book of Genesis radically critiques the institution of polygamy, even though it was accepted cultural practice of the time, by vividly depicting the misery and havoc it plays out in family relationships. Polygamy is marrying multiple people, multiple people and is saying that even though marrying multiple people was common back then in like the times of Genesis, you know, the Bible does say like, yeah, this is not good. Like, look at all these people who are marrying tons of people and it causes so much problems. <laughs> um, the New Testament writers, in a way, 
that startled the pagan world lifted up long-term singleness as a legitimate way to live. In other words, the biblical authors' teaching constantly challenged their own culture's beliefs. They were not simply a product of ancient mores and practices. We cannot, therefore, write off the biblical view of marriage as one-dimensionally regressive or culturally obsolete. On the contrary, it is bristling with both practical, realistic insights and breathtaking promises about marriage. I'll pause right there. So what he's saying is like, you know, people say, oh, the Bible was written so long ago. How can it be relevant to marriage? All it is is just talking about marriage in the culture of that time period. Like, oh, back in the day, like homosexuality was not okay. And that's why they're saying it's like, but he's saying like, no, that's not true. Like back in the day, it was like marrying multiple women was okay. And it was the culture, it was normal. But the Bible was like, hey, no, this is not good. Like it hurts women and it causes so much drama and chaos. Like you should not marry multiple women kind of thing. And it was directly opposite of the majority culture. Similar to how right now, like, we're like, oh, homosexuality should be okay. And that's the culture these days. But the Bible is very clear, like, no, it's not okay. That's not the way it should be. That's not the way God intended it. And so he's kind of saying, like, you can think that the Bible's um, teachings are like, oh, from the past. But... And that they're just ignorant, but they're they're not. You know, there's reasoning behind it, and it's timeless. Through time, it's just very practical and real, and through God. Okay, enough rambling from Eddie. Let's go back to the book by the smart guy. <laughs> mm, where am I? <clears throat> Unless you're able to look at marriage through the lens of scripture instead of through your own fears of romanticism, through your particular experience, or through your culture's narrow perspectives, you won't be able to make intelligent decisions about your own marital future. Okay, so basically, in summary, he's saying at the end that, um, you know, we have a lot of things that bias us, whether that be our experiences or what we saw other people happen, what happened to other people, like what's whatever our culture is now or, you know, whatever like media tells us about like, oh, like this guy's being so romantic or oh, this girl's being so romantic because of this X, Y, Z. Um, but if we really, really want to understand marriage and really have a deep understanding of marriage the way God made it because God made marriage right and if we really want to understand God's marriage the way God intended it to be then we have to look at the Bible the Bible has to be our source the Bible has to be where we understand everything about marriage from so yeah um, I'm nearing the 30 minute mark if you made it all the way here Congratulations. I will reward you with some kind of music. I'll choose like a cheerful music. <laughs> but I love you so much. And this was the introduction. 
just kind of talking about what this book will be about. Remember, and in summary, right? He has three sources for this book. One source is his marriage between him and his wife. The second source is him being a pastor, seeing all these single people, and like talking to them through their struggles and their problems, and like people were dating and people were getting married. And the third and the final and the most important source is the Bible. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to go through this book with you, and hopefully you are too. Mm, I love you so much. <laughs>